I think most genuine believers in the Lord Jesus Christ know that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. He lies so much that he actually lies to himself. And one of his biggest whoppers that he has invaded many a church and many believers, many professing Christians, is that he doesn't exist. And once you convince him that he doesn't exist, then he can rummage their lives. It's like a robber that comes at night and convinces you that he's not there. So you go to sleep while he's robbing you blind. Satan's commitment is to obliterate the truth of the Word of God and replace it with falsehood. That's what he and all of his demons are constantly working and doing. He has done that ever since he and his demons were kicked out of heaven, and he continues to do that throughout history, and he's doing this in our lifetime. We have seen churches and Christian schools (laughs) that have championed the inerrant Word of God. Now, slowly but surely, abandoned that very inerrant Word of God that once they championed. Again, probably there's nobody understood this as much as this particular deception as much as the Apostle Paul. And that is why in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, he says to the next generation, to the next generation leaders, not only to believe the truth, but to pass it on to the next generation. He said, keep on reminding them. Who are the them? The believers. Keep on reminding them of what? Keep on reminding them of biblical truth. Don't get tired of reminding them of biblical truth. Don't ever give up reminding them of biblical truth. And that is why he said, in the literal sense, he said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. That is a very huge charge, solemnly, in the presence of God. This is not just something, well, do it if you feel like it, or do it when you can, or do it when the opportunity arises. He said, I charge you in the presence of God, solemnly charge you against wrangling about words which are useless and ruins lives. Today, we are dab smack in the middle of a series of messages entitled, Don't Ever Give Up, talking about giving up on the truth of the Word of God or watering down or changing it or modifying it. Never, never give up. And we've been going through this second epistle, the very last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. We don't know if it was days or weeks, certainly not months, after writing this, that he was taken and beheaded and died. And so, this is a very intense epistle. It's a very intense letter. You can feel it in every word that is in the page of that letter. We saw in the last message the first half of chapter 2 in 2 Timothy. He gave us three imageries that help us in our faithfulness in passing on the truth to the next generation. Those were the imageries of the soldier who is soldiering and not getting entangled with their civilian affairs for the gospel and for the biblical truth. Secondly was the image of an athlete, that we are athletes who are running 
according to the rules. And thirdly, we saw the third imagery, and that is of the farmer who's patiently plowing and planting and harvesting. And here in the second half of chapter 2, he gives us three more imageries as if to build up those six imageries together can help us truly be faithful in our service of the Lord. These three imageries for faithful service are a good worker, a worker who's not ashamed of what he's doing, working hard. Secondly, a clean vessel, a vessel that is always ready to be used for honorable things. And then the third image is a servant who is loyal and obedient to his master. Let's look at this very quickly. A worker who's not ashamed. The very reason for serving diligently, the very reason for working faithfully, serving the Lord, is not to please others and make others feel good about themselves, good as that may be. It is not even to please oneself. The very reason for faithfulness, the main reason and the ultimate reason for faithfulness is to please the Lord. Now, the definition of shame, I saw a new one this week. It says, a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. Why are the false preachers should be ashamed? Because when their work is only for the show, it's only to impress people, it's only for the praise of people, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. When it is not to please the Lord first and foremost, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. And yet, (laughs) those who have every reason to be ashamed, they are shameless. And that is why any ministry, any ministry whatsoever, must be done for the glory of God alone. We ought not to have personal or hidden agenda. There must be straight lines. (laughs) We should not have twists and turns or manipulate others for personal gain, not to dress up the truth in such a way as to try to make it palatable and acceptable, and not to bury the truth under an avalanche of a marketing program or under the guise of relevance. In other words, be straightforward. (laughs) The Word of God is always clear. The Word of God is always straight. The Word of God is always plain. And Paul is saying to Timothy, keep it that way. (laughs) Keep it that way. Nobody's saying that everybody's going to accept our message. Nobody said that everybody's going to be saved. Beloved, listen to me. Loving people does not mean we compromise the integrity of the Word of God. Loving people does not mean that we compromise the truth. Loving people does not mean that we twist the Word of God until it becomes a pretzel. I have seen that. I have seen people and heard people twisting it so much until it's unidentifiable. No! Being straightforward, we might suffer rejection, we might suffer alienation, we might suffer discrimination, and even we might suffer persecution. 
But whatever you do, stay as a workman who will not be ashamed when you face Jesus on that great day. Verse 16, avoid godless chatter. In other words, don't get drawn into this foolish discussion. Don't get drawn into discussing issues that have already been settled in the Word of God long ago. Doing so ruins people and brings about ungodliness. The word that the Apostle Paul, the Greek word he uses is katastrophe, from which we get the word catastrophe. Compromise does not build up a person. It tears them down and brings about disaster. Catastrophe. Compromise leads to false teaching, and false teaching leads to ungodliness. The legacy of false teaching is false living, and false living leads to a catastrophe. False teaching is like gangrene. Do you see that? He used the word gangrene. God translated gangrene. I mean, it is amazing. Look at verse 17. In other words, it's infectious. Don't take it lightly. It is infectious. It spreads so fast. It is deadly. I read not long ago that with all of our modern technology, with all of our science and medicine, that if a soldier in the battlefield is not treated, his injuries treated immediately, it could lead to amputation and even death. False teaching and satanic lies can spread much faster than the truth. You say, Michael, why is that? I tell you why. Because the sinful human heart is more comfortable with compromise. And Paul is writing to Timothy and to us, and he mentions two specific people, and he mentions them by name. These two people allowed themselves to be misled, ended up departing from the faith altogether. I tell you, there is not a week that passes by. I hear some preacher fall, some musician, Christian musician fall. It is absolutely heartbreaking. And he names those two people, Himenaeus and Philetus. Isn't it amazing that Himenaeus means the singing man? Therefore, he gets the word hymns. Singing man. And Philetus from Phileo, which you know that means love, means a lover or a loving. And yet, one is a false singer and the other is a false lover. One is singing the wrong songs and the other has a misplaced love. And here's what you and I must never, never, never forget. Don't miss this. Because deceivers are very attractive people. Deceivers are like the devil himself. They appear as angels of light. Deceivers are very charming people. Deceivers are very eloquent. Deceivers are great communicators. And they will say things like, love is the most important thing. Really? No, it's not. Jesus is. Because without Jesus, we don't know how to love. Someone would say, God is love, therefore love is God. Really? Don't get hung up on doctrine. Don't get hung up on these biblical things and biblical morality. Don't get hung up on biblical teaching. Don't get hung up on that. After all, Jesus said, just love one another. 
<laughs> what they do is they take a grain of truth and they wrap it in a whole lot of falsehood or a drop of poison, and they sugarcoat it. Paul said, avoid such people. Verse 18, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. I believe the Apostle Paul here is quoting from Moses in the book of Numbers, chapter 16, verse 5. Because back then there was a a man by the name of Korah who managed to persuade few others in the Israelite community to oppose the plan of God for redeeming them from Egypt, the slavery of Egypt. Korah was rebelling against the plan of God, and God literally opened the ground and swallowed them. And that's what Paul said, depart from iniquity. Don't be like Korah and company. The second imagery the Apostle Paul gives us here in being faithful is a clean vessel in a big house. You look at some of the castles and the things you see, and you see any big house. You see those on television. There are all sorts of utensils and cutlery and pots and pans and large numbers of them. And the church of Jesus Christ worldwide, the global church of Christ, the elect of God from every nation, every tribe, they come in all sorts. We are like those utensils. We are like those equipment in the home. Except, listen carefully, except as people, we have a choice to be a silver spoon or a dirty bucket. There are utensils that the master of the house proudly displays. And there's some rusty ones he soon just put in the basement and hide in the basement. Listen to me. Those who are faithful to the Lord and to His Word, the infallible Word of God, both Old and New Testament, those who are faithful to plow in straight lines, our instrument of honor. Those who twist the truth and preach and teach and speak half-truth, those who teach their own ideas, are instrument of dishonor, as far as God is concerned. might not be as far as the masses are concerned, but as far as the Lord is concerned. Those who speak the truth, uphold the truth, live the truth, are instrument of honor. But those who modify the truth, water down the truth, are instrument of dishonor. Listen to what the Word of God said. If any of you, if anyone purifies himself, he will be used by the Master. Please hear me right. This is really important. There can be no higher honor imaginable in life than being an instrument in the hand of God. There is no greater honor in life than being at the disposal of the Lord to use us as He wishes. There can be no greater honor in life than serving to accomplish God's purpose. There can be no higher degree of honor than being available whenever He calls us for service. 
Oh, but there's a condition. I did not make up that condition. (laughs) What is it? What is that condition? Cleanliness and purity. Oh, are you preaching perfection now? No, 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 no. Don't miss this. Perfection is only going to happen when we get to heaven. Can I get an amen? I can't wait. (laughs) But cleanliness and purity is not perfection. It's not perfection. Verses 22 and 23, Paul said that we can actually purify ourselves. We can only be saved by God's power and grace. That's the only way, not by our works. But once we're saved, we can continuously purify ourselves. You said, Michael, how do I do that? By confession, by repentance. You see, repentance is not just for sinners who don't know Christ and repent and come and believe in Him. Repentance ought to be the lifestyle of every believer. Not rationalizing sin, not explaining it away, not justifying it, not saying, well, you know, my father did this and my mother did this, and uh, this happened and that happened and I couldn't help it, and, and I, I blame so-and-so for this. And I, no, 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 no. No rationalization. Look to heaven and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I do that every day. <laughs> sometimes I say things, sometimes I get angry, and I, and as I stop, I say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Purify, cleansing myself. First, by purging our hearts from false teaching. That's where it begins. Don't listen to it. Don't meditate on it. Don't entertain it. Don't even consider it. Here are some examples of what you hear, these false connotations and false teaching and false thoughts that are penetrating deep into the culture. The Bible is not relevant for today, or at least not all of it. God is so loving and so merciful. He's going to let everybody in. Hell cannot possibly go on for eternity. This is called annihilation. Annihilation is preached by many evangelical preachers today. Sad. They're contradicting Jesus. He said, the fire will not be quenched and the worm will not die. But he said, no, they will just expire. Or God gave us the gift of sexuality, therefore we can use it no matter how we feel about it. We can express ourselves whichever way we think is possible. No. Or, God doesn't care about how I treat my spouse and my family as long as I'm good to God. (laughs) Or, it doesn't matter how I use my money as long as I give God His tip. Listen, I could go on and on and on, but you get the message. You get the picture here. And then Paul goes on to say, shun youthful passions. As soon as you hear that, there are two things that you will miss. Some people think, oh, they're just sexual immorality. They're just sexual sins. And other people think, well, that's just for the young people. I want to disabuse you of both. Okay, listen to me very carefully, please. Youthful passion means more. It means self-assertion. It means self-indulgence. It means headstrong. (laughs) It means uh, being obstinate. It means being arrogant. See, these are the normally things associated with the early ages of adolescence. When I have met adolescents in this church who absolutely amaze me at their strength and maturity. But this is just the general idea. 
But the person at any age should have nothing to do with that. These temptations are there for the old and the young alike. To be sure, they are associated with adolescence, but everybody ought to flee from those kinds of things. There is a common mistake among believers. There's a common error. I want to explain it to you, and I know you'll understand as soon as I explain it. The Bible said, flee from temptation, but resist the devil. Flee from what? Resist who? There's a reason for that. God knows us. He made us. He knows us inside out. And He gave us that delicate formula. Because God knows that it's much easier to resist the devil and flee from temptation. Here's what many Christians make the mistake of reversing those orders. You know what I mean? They reverse them. They try to resist the temptation, then they flee from the devil. Listen carefully. When you try to resist temptation, you've got a big percentage of a chance to fall in it. But if you flee from it, you've got 99.9% chance of avoiding it. Fleeing from the devil should not be the case. Why? Because you have to stand mano a mano with the devil. You stir him down. And you can do what I do. I talk to the devil. <laughs> I say to the devil, you're a defeated foe. You're a toothless lion. You cannot have any authority over me because I am redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Quote the Scripture. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Not even you, devil. And you know what? When you stand your ground and you resist the devil, you know what happens? The devil is the one who flees. That's what the Word of God said. I'm not making it up. But a lot of believers linger and try to fight temptation instead of fleeing. And then they give themselves a bigger chance of falling into it. They linger like Lot did in Sodom, instead of fleeing like Joseph did in Egypt. But then when we flee, we don't just flee to nowhere or to nothing. No, 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 no. We flee to righteousness. The Bible is so clear. We are to die, deny ourselves and follow Jesus. Or we are to put off the, what belongs to the flesh, to the old nature, put on what belongs to the new nature, that we are to put to death our earthly members and set our minds on things above. We are to crucify the flesh and walk in the Spirit. We are to be ruthlessly rejecting one and relentlessly pursue the other. Now, beloved, listen. This is the secret. If there is a secret, there's such thing. This is the secret to victory. This is the secret to godly living. The third imagery. If you're following with me, follow, please. The Apostle Paul gives us a third imagery here, and that's of obedient, loyal servant. It was Spurgeon who said the Christians are the only ones who conspire with the enemy. Just like the worker, not ashamed because he cuts straight lines. Just like a vessel 
that is continuously cleansing itself for good use, the servant, always obedient and loyal. In the not-so-good old days, you know how people talk about the good old days? In the not-so-good old days, in the days of slavery, a slave had an overriding duty, obey his master, doing the will of his master. And he does that whether he agrees with the master or not, <laughs> whether he likes what the masters ask him to do or not. Our loyalty, our obedience is to the boss. Satan is forever trying to entrap us to have divided loyalty, to have partial obedience. And if you think that I don't know what that is, you would be terribly mistaken. <laughs> I am forever alert of the fact when I'm being trapped. Look at verse 26. Being willing and joyful servant will equip us not to fall in Satan's traps. But not only that, but we help others not to fall into Satan's traps. Or if they do, we're able to help them be rescued. I'm constantly reminding myself of this. I don't know how many times I got invited to debate other people from other religions. I won't get into the details. But forever, I'm invited to come and debate with so-and-so, debate with so-and-so. My answer is flat, no. Why? Because it is going to make me place biblical truth on the same level as the other person's belief. And furthermore, I haven't seen too many people got converted because of a debate. It makes people get entrenched in their own positions. Let me tell you this story as I conclude about faithfulness and the necessity of reminding ourselves of being faithful day in and day out. There's a very well-to-do home builder who became so comfortable financially that he doesn't need to work anymore. He had worked for many, many years, and he decided he's about to retire. But he also wanted to reward his foreman, who has been with him for many years. And so he said to his foreman, he said, you know, we're going to go on a high. I want you to build the biggest and the best house that we have ever built. No budget. No limits. Get the best equipment, the finest of material. No limits on the expenses. I'm going to Europe for a year, and then I'm coming back. And I hope you finish it by then. And sure enough, the unlimited budget idea just started to dance in the mind of the foreman. He said, this is my chance to make a killing. This is my chance to make a lot of money. So he built this mansion, big house, with the cheapest of materials. He built it with the cheapest of fixtures that would not last. From the exterior, the house looked okay and looked nice. But the interior quality was the poorest of the poor. And when the contractor returned home, inspected the house, and he walked through it with the foreman, and he said to the foreman, he said, how do you like this house? He said, oh, it's a fine house. He said, I'm glad you like it, because that's your retirement gift. 
and he handed them the keys. This house is my gift for you serving me. Beloved, listen to me, please. Listen, listen, I'm about to finish. You and I are building a spiritual house. We are the workmen and women in the building of that house. We are the utensils in that house. We are the servants to the master of the house. So whether you live in contempt or contentment in your house, whether you live in peace or endless pain, whether you live in the depth of depression or the height of heights, it depends on how you see yourself in relationship to the master of the house. Do you see yourself as an investor in others, pouring into others? And as you invest, you being a soldier on active duty and being an athlete who's willing to play and run by the rules and being a hard-working farmer, being a worker, not ashamed of your work, being an instrument that is clean and pure, ready for the hard work in the hand of the master or as a servant, willing to obey the master, it's up to you and it's up to me. Oh, my prayer to God that I and everyone at the sound of my voice would say, yes, Lord, that's me. And if not, you can say, yes, Lord, that's what I want to be. Shall we pray together? Father, your word is clear. Your word is plain. And I pray to you right now on behalf of the person who is being convicted by the Holy Spirit and says, yes, I want to be. Heavenly Father, hear the cry, even the silent cry of your servants. And Father, as we look and see apostasy expanding, as we see the day of Christ is drawing nigh, please help us to be faithful. Faithful workmen and women, boys and girls, faithful instruments, and faithful obedient servants. For, Father, we cannot do it without your help. Come to our aid, for we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.